Amen. It's really nice to see so many folk here. There's a lot of old familiar faces, some familiar, some old. <laughs> no, really, it's lovely to have you here. I think you're very brave, Suze, to be doing this thing on criticism. Of course, it's going to be rubbish, but... <laughs> No, it'll be excellent. I know, Suze, it'll be really good. Something that we all need to deal with. We're doing two things today. We're having the baptism, and uh, we're also starting a series on the Beatitudes, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the bits where Jesus says, Blessed are you. And we're going to have a look at both those things somehow. We're going to try and squeeze them in. Um, Jesus started his ministry having been baptised by John the Baptist, and that occurs in Matthew chapter 3. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness, fasts for 40 days, is tempted. It's the time when he calls his disciples. That, that's Matthew chapter 4. But chapter 5 is where Jesus' fame has stretched out to all kinds of places around that area. And people were flocking to him for healing, to, to, for teaching, so Jesus takes them up a mountain, or he goes up a mountain, they follow him, and he sits down to teach them. That's Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read some of that. When Jesus, this is from verse 1 of Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to be looking at blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But I want to say this, that we live in a world of, of competing kingdoms. You may not realise it, but in Matthew 24, when Jesus was talking about the, what would happen before the end of the world, he says this, he says, the nations will fight against nations and kingdoms will fight against kingdoms. So kingdoms are larger than nations. And they have, I've worked out, certain characteristics. Now, you may think of more, but these are the ones that I came up with. Kingdoms always have a king or a leader, some powerful figure that runs everything. The second one is their power is spread across the nations. Another thing, they may be benign or malicious internally. You don't know. Their subjects may live in fear or favour. They will have an identifiable ideology, ethos or belief system. 
And history tells us that they have a finite life. Eventually they will perish and die. Hitler thought that the Third Reich would last a thousand years. Many people have thought of their kingdom lasting forever. But these beatitudes, these teachings here that Jesus gives, talk to us of another kingdom. A kingdom which will never end and supersedes all kingdoms. It's the kingdom of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And it's not of this world, yet it affects everyone in this world because everyone who's ever lived, God says, I know every hair on their head. Perhaps you're not familiar with it, but when Jesus was standing before Pilate, who was the Roman governor, Pilate got frustrated, very frustrated, because he said, look, I've got power of life and death over you and you won't even answer me. I'm asking you a question, what, what's the answer? And Jesus said, you have no power over me. You have no power over me, but that my Father gives you that power. That's the only way that you'll ever have that power over me. And yes, I do have a kingdom, he said, but it's not of this world. The kingdom of God or heaven. Now, if you read Matthew's Gospel, it talks about the kingdom of heaven. In the other Gospels, they say the same thing about the kingdom of God. Why the difference? Because the, the Gospel to Matthew was written with the Jews in mind. And the Jews don't like to use the word for God. They don't like to speak. They, they find it um, a wrong thing. And so they don't do it. And that was happening in Jesus' day. So Matthew circumvents that by saying it's the kingdom of heaven but it's the same thing but the kingdom of God or heaven is diametrically opposed to all other kingdoms which are based upon power the power to crush sometimes the power to exalt sometimes all kinds of things but it's based on power and there is unimaginable power in the kingdom of God but it's based on love and that's what makes the difference. A love where God first loved us and because we couldn't help ourselves, he sent his son to die for us. That's a glorious truth. You may get excited at this point. <laughs> Let's have a definition of the kingdom of God. I love giving definitions. This is my definition. It's the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all things even those things that oppose him. And eventually every detractor will come and bow the knee to Jesus. And it's a spiritual kingdom. And it's a reality here and now. It has an effect on our lives here and now. But it's also a promise to be inherited. There's a kingdom that we're coming to. Now, those that oppose Jesus have created a rival spiritual kingdom. And the Bible calls it the kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom based upon Satan, self and sin. And uh, we're all born into it. We're every one of us born into it and a part of it until he transfers us from that kingdom into the kingdom of God. And let me read you a verse. It comes from Colossians chapter 1. 
Here we are. Verses 13 and 14. Paul writes to the Colossians, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He transferred us. He transferred us from that kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. This transfer takes place as we, by faith, call upon God to forgive us. It's called repentance. Believing that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is sufficient to deal with everything that separated us from God. In other words, he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. Now let me just put it in plain. Forgive me if you've heard me say this before. I'm walking along the street. In front of me is Martin walking along the free street. And uh, I run up behind him, hit him over the head and run off with his pension book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I run around the corner straight into the arms of a policeman who saw it all. I'm arrested. I go to court. And uh, they say, how do you plead? You say, well, often. But how do you plead? I plead guilty. I've been caught red-handed. Now, the judge says, okay, you're, you're guilty. I have to pass sentence. And he says, all right, six months in Holloway. <laughs> Someone will explain that to you if you don't know. All right, six months in Holloway. But... He says, you know, I just remembered it's my wife's birthday, so I'm going to let you off. Or, it's a nice day, why don't we all go to the beach? Sit there, I'll take my wig off and we'll sit, in the, we'll sit on the beach. The, the judge can't do that. Why can't he do that? Because the law must be fulfilled. And I've broken the law and there has to be a consequence of it, of some shape or form, because the law must be fulfilled. You know, the Bible says the soul that sins, it will die. And we're all bound by death. There's no excuse. He told us, and he's told us plainly. So the law must be fulfilled. But what if someone like Pete stands up and says to the judge, Judge, I know he's guilty, and I know he has to go to prison, but what about if I go to prison instead of him? And I'll pay the price for what he's done. Now, I've no idea if that could happen in law. I'm not a lawyer. I've no idea. But if that was able to happen, the law would be fulfilled because Pete would go to prison instead of me. That's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus talked about. He said, when you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ you believe that what he's done is sufficient and he's paying the price for you that's called being born again born again it's a wonderful phrase you know a man came to Jesus and he said you're the teacher, teach us about things and he said the first thing I'll teach you is that you must be born again because it's the primary thing. A man came to John Wesley after he'd been preaching and said to him, 
Why do you say I must be born again? And Wesley said, because you must be born again. There is no other answer. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's what's happened here today. And I'm excited. The next step after being born again is baptism. We should talk a little bit about baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is saying I'm under new management. That's the best way to put it. I'm under new management. I want to tell the world. I want to tell my friends, my enemies. Of course, you haven't got any enemies. But um, I want to tell the devil and all his associates and accomplices that I belong to Christ. That's what's happened. Jesus got baptised. He didn't have to be baptised, but he did it, to, as he puts it, to fulfil all righteousness so that you and I can see how necessary it is. Now, there's some confusion about baptism. Baptism is not what happens to some babies. That's christening. Now, we don't christen here because people say that christening is when you become a Christian. We don't believe that. The main reason is because the scripture teaches differently, but Babies don't have that ability. I, I'm, no, let me. I'm sure if you've got a baby, it's the most clever, dynamic, <laughs> understanding child in the world. But even with that, babies don't generally understand that now is the time to become a Christian. It's something that we, as adults, as we grow into adulthood, we make that decision. And. Being baptised is about making a decision. I'm following Jesus. And babies don't do that, I'm afraid. Some people have said to me, look, I'm born into a Christian country and I am therefore a, a Christian. Well, I have to say to you, if you're born in a garage, that doesn't make you a car. <laughs> it's not true. There's something has to transact between us. Baptism is about the fundamental change that has taken place in us when we said, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what it's about. And when we go under the water, we're identifying with Christ in Christ's death and his burial. And when we come up out of the water, it says Jesus just rose from the dead. Just rose from the dead. I have a friend who was baptised by, he's an American, who was baptised by an American Episcopalian, which is a Church of England in America sort of thing, on holiday. Um, and uh, the Episcopalian priest, as he was, said, I've never baptised anyone like this. I've always done child baptism. But I'll do it. And this priest put him under the water and started to pray and prayed and prayed <laughs> and prayed and prayed until the friend of mine had to reach up and grab hold of the belt that was round this priest's trousers or whatever and heave himself up but in doing so pulled the priest into the water as well. <laughs> So the priest got baptised at the same time. He didn't know. But when we go into the water, it's a picture for us. It's a picture of Jesus going into death on our behalf because he paid the price, the penalty, for what I did and what you did. We go under the water, we come up from the water. I can tell you, guys, we've never lost anyone yet. <laughs> all right we counted them all out and we counted them all back to quote someone it's the end of the old but this is where the clash of kingdoms comes in it's the end of the old and the start of the new sometimes you get fireworks when people come into christ because 
of what they've been involved in in the past, the devil doesn't want to let go. But I want to tell you, that's when you see the kingdom of God and its infinite power that says Jesus Christ rules and reigns. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 6, from a rather strange version that I have, which is no surprise to anyone, know me. You know well enough, this is Paul talking to the Roman church, that we who were taken up into Christ by baptism have been taken up, all of us, into his death. In our baptism we have been buried with him, died like him, that so just as Christ was raised up by his Father's power from the dead, we too might live and move in a new kind of existence. We have to be closely fitted into the pattern of his resurrection as we've been into the pattern of his death. We have to be sure of this, that our former nature has been crucified with him and the living power of our guilt annihilated so that we're slaves of guilt no longer. Guilt makes no more claim on a man who's dead. And if we've died with Christ, we have faith to believe that we shall share his life. We know that Christ, now he's risen from the dead, cannot die anymore. Death has no more power over him. The death he died was a death once for all to sin. The life he now lives is a life that looks towards God. And you too must think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive with a life that looks forward towards God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great passage, Romans chapter 6. Now, I said that we've started on the Beatitudes. We ought really just have a, a brief nod towards what they mean, or what the first one means. So I'd like to look at that first one. Blessed or happy is the, the phrase that Jesus used. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word of God has lots of power. This particular beatitude sets the theme for all of them. And there is an order if you go through it, and I hope that the other people that as they're dealing with this subject will find that order and go through it. But this deals with the entrance into this kingdom. It says that the way up is the way down, or the way down is the way up. You remember Jesus told a story he said, look, if you're invited to a wedding, don't go and sit down in the best man's seat because you're not the best man. Sit down here at the back if you haven't got a seat. And when the, the groom comes in, he'll say, what are you doing here? Come up higher. Jesus said, have that attitude in you. Have that attitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There is a place to proclaim that I'm a son and daughter of God and therefore blessed beyond measure and have all kinds of privileges and everything. That's great and that's true. But I want to say it all starts when we realise that without Jesus we're nothing, but with Jesus we're everything. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 23, I'll read you a verse there, verse 12. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself 
shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, this beatitude, this first one, makes us seek God because we don't come with any great ideas that we're the great I am. You know, when Moses said, what shall I call you? God said, just call me I am. You know, God is I am, so you can't be. And this makes us seek God. The whole issue here was righteousness. The Pharisees who were criticising Jesus and looking around for um, faults lack the element of not learning it, that righteousness is not something that they could uh, use to justify themselves. How often do we justify ourselves before God? Oh Lord, it's because of this, because of that, I justify. The truth is that we can't justify ourselves, but God justifies us instead. Righteousness is something God gives to us. You ever come to God in brokenness? Feel inadequate? Unworthy? I want to tell you something. God lifts the fallen. He lifts the fallen. The whole kingdom is open to those who come this way. And that's about as much as I want to say about this. I'm going to let others who take it up broaden it out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We know we have a need. If you don't know you've got a need, then that's the first thing that's got to happen. I've had people come to me and say, look, well, maybe I've, I'm interested in becoming a Christian. And what I want to hear from them is, I want to become a Christian because I need to. I have a need. I need to get right with God. I need to call on the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done for me. I need to follow him the way that he calls me to follow him. Not my way, but your way. Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but yours, Father. Why was he doing that? Was he rebelling against God? No. He was doing that because he was dealing with everything that would separate us from God the Father. And that was the big issue. And Jesus said, you're getting my will. I'm not doing your will like that. You're taking my heart that says, you take over, Lord. Those that have been baptised are acknowledging that they need Jesus and his love to lift them into this kingdom. And they couldn't have done it themselves. That's why God does it for us. And they're going to find that the kingdom of God is described by the Apostle Paul in Romans. And he says this, the kingdom of God is righteousness, being right with God in other words, peace, I have peace with God because he's given me his righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why we're a happy clappy band here. I have no, make no apologies for that. I'm happy today, I'm happy today because Jesus has taken my sins away. There's a chorus, lovely chorus that goes around that. God has done something that has set us free from the fear of death. You know, some psychiatrists will say to you that every fear really is rooted in the fear of death. I don't know 
if they're right. But I can see how that can be the case. God has set us free from death, free from that which drives us. Every fear laid on him because he's dealt with them. And he gives us joy. That's why we clap. That's why we rejoice here. That's why we have the band here. To lead us into a place of joy. Because we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Let's just pray, shall we? <coughs> Father, we want to take this opportunity to thank you for what you've done for us. That you've taken our sin and put it on Jesus. And he's taken it into the grave. And as it were offered, come to you and offered his blood to you and said, is it, is it enough? And you said, Father, it's, it's enough. It's enough to buy their redemption, to deal with the law that was broken, to deal with everything. Everything that ever separated you from God has been dealt with in Christ on the cross. Father, we ask that you'll speak to us today and encourage us and Lord, fill us with joy and peace and righteousness because your kingdom's at work here. We know it in ourselves, we can sense it in the place. Lord, your presence is here. Thank you for that. And Lord, anyone who doesn't know, anyone who hasn't heard, speak your word to their hearts this morning, we pray. And you know there are needs in this building. There are people with real needs at the moment. We pray in the name of Jesus that the kingdom will come. We pray it down as you told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Bring your kingdom here, Lord, and release people from fear and anxiety and situations that they can't control, that are eating away at them. Father, forgiveness matters. Just deal with them all. Let your kingdom come. Father, we offer our hearts to you and our hearts affection and say that we love you. And we're not ashamed to say it, Lord. So thank you for loving us and blessing us. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Shall we all stand?